Hi, welcome to the Tell Me What You're Proud Of podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Maggie Perry. I'm a licensed psychologist with a doctorate degree in clinical psychology. I'm also the founder of the online group therapy platform, Huddle.Care. I love helping people overcome anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, mood disorders, and stress. Please join us each week as we share real sessions with actual clients that reveal helpful techniques for effectively dealing with anxiety, OCD, mood disorders, and stress. We'll discuss what effective therapy looks like, sounds like, and feels like. We'll follow our guests as they overcome their biggest fears and find that despite their biological vulnerabilities, they can still live a rich, full, and meaningful life. My therapeutic approach is strengths-based and seeks to find and reinforce what clients do well to help them generalize those skills towards areas where they're stuck. My model for psychotherapy can be summed up as this. You tell me what you're proud of, and I'll help you become effective and happy across all areas of your life. Thanks for listening, and let's get the show started. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you would like to practice these anxiety, OCD, and mood disorder coping strategies within a COVID-safe and HIPAA-compliant online therapy group led by a licensed psychotherapist, please go to the Huddle.Care website to set up your initial consultation. Huddle.Care is a group therapy program that meets by video conferencing and offers education, treatment, and support provided by licensed psychotherapists. Huddle.Care brings together the quality care offered by highly trained licensed psychotherapists with the benefits of social support, including resilience, self-compassion, and collective hope. These mindfulness-based cognitive behavioral therapy groups include exposure and response prevention. Please go to the Huddle.Care website to receive more information and to set up your initial consultation today. Hi, it's Dr. Maggie Perry with Tell Me What You're Proud Of. This is my second session with Larissa, and this month we're talking about preparing for the anxious moment. So today we're going to talk about how to identify triggers and um, relate to those triggers as you're thinking about what what's going to happen in your anxious moments and how to be ready for them. So Larissa, thanks so much for being back on the show. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about your triggers, like what what is helpful? in terms of um, how you identify what triggers your anxiety? Well, um, actually, a, a, a lot of what I've learned at Huddle, I mean, hearing other people share their stories um, has helped me to learn how to recognize it. And um, the pod, whenever I hear the podcast or read the blog, I, I, I learn a lot and also invariably it, it'll trigger a memory and but I relate to the memory like oh now I understand what was going on I was really anxious at that moment and and sometimes I can even almost uh relive those feelings but I recognize it for what it is and so um whenever now when I get like that whoosh of anxiety a lot of times it comes on like uh, my face gets flushed my ears get red my skin feels really hot and um, it's not so uncomfortable anymore because I recognize it for what it is. It used to be very uncomfortable and I'm understanding more and more why my, um, I would try to avoid it. And that's when I would like to go out and take a walk or a job, which is a great thing to do, but I, I used it as a way to kind of um, settle that feeling or make it go away and, um, get rid of the anxiety because sometimes I didn't recognize where it was coming from, but now I'm more and more able to recognize, okay, that's my anxiety. I can take a deep breath. Uh, sometimes I just kind of have to 
in my mind, step back from it. I, I don't always do that, but I'm learning to try and, um, and just say, okay, is, is this something that is really urgent? Is it really an emergency? Usually it's not. And it's, it might feel to me like I got to deal with it right now or, um, or a lot of times it'll come like um, I'm uncomfortable because the other person doesn't see it as an urgent thing. But I'm starting to recognize now that, okay, maybe, maybe it really isn't. Whereas before, it would almost make me more uncomfortable if the other person wasn't feeling it, which was most of the time. Yeah, so, so you're saying a number of different things that I just really want to highlight. So first off, as you're describing the sensations that occur when you're triggered, um, I just want to differentiate between internal and external triggers. Um, so an internal trigger can be a, a, a sensation, a thought, a feeling, a memory. Um, an urge. So in the case of OCD, it's common for people to have unwanted intrusive thoughts and then get a whoosh of anxiety and the urge to do something in response. That initial unwanted intrusive thought would be your trigger. Um, you could also have an external trigger. So like in the example of, say, a harm intrusion, the external intrusion the external trigger could be a knife and then the internal trigger could be what if I stab someone I love and then that might give you a whoosh um, so that that's an example where there's both like an external trigger and an internal trigger um, and other internal triggers could be something like a memory in the case of PTSD or also just a, a general memory like you're you're mentioning how somebody telling a story can give you a memory that gives you a feeling if that feeling or sensations that come with that feeling are uncomfortable to you and difficult to tolerate you could have anxiety on top of the feelings and sensations or anxiety as the primary feeling that you're having um, also external triggers there's a there's a variety of different types of external triggers that can be predictable like a car or a flight or a kitchen in the case of those specific fears, but there could also be triggers like when somebody mentions a certain disease, then you start to get anxious. Or um, when you're in an intimate conversation compared to like a conversation with an acquaintance, you might have different reactions. So I say all this because in terms of getting like a mental map of your anxiety and being being ready to prepare to relate to it differently. Um, it's often really important that you have a sense of what might trigger your anxiety in the first place, but your anxiety is as smart as you are. So it's likely that even if you try to make a mental map of what on the outside tends to trigger you and what's on, what, what's on the inside that tends to trigger you, um, you probably won't perfectly be able to predict exactly what's happening. And there'll be times where the only thing that you can go on is the experience that you're having. So I really appreciate what you're saying, Larissa, that um, you're starting to pick up on the cues that like when you feel urgent or when you feel hot, when your heart starts to race, then those are cues that you're feeling anxious. So even if you didn't pick up exactly on the internal or external cue that led to the anxiety, once you're in the, the anxiety, then you, um, you kind of know what you want to do, which is to slow down, 
um, try to observe what's happening, try to allow the sensations to occur, try to get distance from the thoughts as they're happening and try not to do something to make it worse. And that would be like an avoidance, a compulsion, reassurance, mm -hmm. seeking or neutralizing. Um, what kind of thoughts are you having as I'm explaining that, that way of thinking about triggers? It, it's making a lot of sense. And I think that part of that is really helpful to me because um, when I first started to try to learn more about my OCD, I think I was looking more for outward things, you know, that, that I did. And um, I, I, I couldn't connect other than I knew, even though it was hard for me to admit to it, I knew that there was a part of my exercise that really was anxiety driven, you know, but of course, that's a good thing to do. So it was easy to um, at least fool myself, you know, because I was doing good things. And, and I enjoy the outdoors. I enjoy walking. I still do. And I, I take lots of walks. But now I recognize sometimes there's, I need to step back, I need to even sit and meditate, or um, I need to do the opposite. And as you were talking, I remembered how especially when I was still working as a nurse, if um, sometimes I'd be driving home in the evening, like at dusk, and if I hit like a bump in the road, especially if I happened to, maybe I looked to the left and I saw somebody walking, I saw them and then I, I have a bump in the road, I think, oh my God, I wasn't paying attention. Did I hit somebody? And, and unless I could see right fully clear in back of me, if it was dark, I mean, I would turn around, go back because I, I was scared, you know, even though on one level, I thought I knew that I didn't hit anybody, but I was, I wasn't uncomfortable that that feeling wouldn't leave until I actually um, went back and saw for myself, like I needed proof. I needed that certainty. And, and uh, I had, the, it's funny because the other day I was driving and something I think dropped off the back seat of my car, you know, my husband had moved stuff in the car, you know, and, um, but I couldn't see what dropped. And I thought, Oh, God, you know, did I hit somebody? And I thought, No, I, I'm not gonna, I don't need to turn around. Even though I can't see what happened. I know I didn't hit anybody. Um, I didn't have anybody fly through the window or in front of my car. So I know I didn't hit anybody. And I need to just keep going. And uh, even though it was uncomfortable and there was a little voice like inside of me saying, but what if I, I was I was glad that I recognized it and I was able to keep driving. I mean, it's not a big thing, but I'm also starting to I recognize that at least for me, those little things might add up to big things. You know, they're still part of a bigger picture helping me um, so that when a big thing happens, I, I can relate better too, hopefully. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I was going to say that's a, that sounded like a really big thing from my perspective, because if it was a habit that was happening frequently for years, um, whenever you were driving, particularly at dusk, then the moment that you understand that trigger and then feel that whoosh of anxiety and say, wait a second, this is my anxiety. This is my OCD. Um, mm -hmm. Having the thought doesn't mean that something terrible has happened. And these feelings right. of these sensations are not signals or messages or predictions that something bad has happened. 
and therefore it's okay for me to tolerate these sensations. It's okay for me to allow this thought to be here without acting on it. And I'm just going to move mm -hmm. forward. Um, and in that moment, it would probably gave you more uncertainty and anxiety to move forward. But if you do that frequently, you stop having that as a trigger and you have the experiential confidence to move forward for like a bigger incident as you're describing. So what, so it's really important that you understand how these little moments relate to the bigger moments. What other thoughts do you have about little moments versus big moments? Um, well, I, I, I really am beginning to see that for myself that I, I do feel a lot calmer because I think I am relating better to my anxiety. And I think in general, um, I, uh, I'm just feeling calmer and more relaxed. Even my husband has noticed it. And um, certain things don't just don't trigger it the way they did. Like, um, like today, you know, I kind of looked at this podcast as, oh, I got to prepare for it. Like I did when I was teaching, like a prepare for a class. And I think I mentioned last week, I would go over stuff over and over to make sure I'd say it just right. And then um, that just right thinking, or what if I miss something, or, or, or what if I don't say, what if I can't stick to the topic and I say the wrong thing? It's not only going to not be good for me, it's not going to help anybody else. And then I thought to myself, wait a minute, um, th this is a conversation. It, it doesn't, there is no right or wrong. And it, as it turned out, today was, um, turned out to be a lot busier than I expected. I, I had to, I, I've had a toothache the last three days and um, not super bad, but it's right where I had dental work done. And so finally, I thought, you know, I better, I better just let the dentist know. So I had to go into the dentist tomorrow. Then I had another thing that I, I Aaron, that I had to do. And then the friends that we had wanted to spend three days with us, our good friends, who we had said no because of COVID, well, they wanted to at least come visit. And, and then I thought, oh, I got to clean the house. I got and I could feel that panicky feeling inside of me, like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna have enough time to prepare for the podcast, and this is too much, and how I'm gonna have to clean the house instead and do all this. And you know, Maggie, I was able to say it's okay. I, this is okay, and it's probably important for me to to kind of be pushed off my schedule because I I do think that I can. That's part of that rigidity. You know, I want it to be a blank slate so that um, I can be ready. But I guess I, I think I'm starting to realize that I, I can be ready regardless, you know? Yeah. So you're talking about three really different but connected triggers, which I really appreciate. So there's the type of whoosh of anxiety that maybe comes from a memory or something else that you're thinking about. Somebody said something and you start thinking about it and it gives you the feeling of anxiety and the urge to go jog. And then you're talking about an intrusive thought, an unwanted intrusive thought, maybe about like, what if I hit someone with my car? And now you're talking about more like generalized worry of everyday life. Will I be ready for this? Will I be ready for that? Will I be ready for that? Um, and all of those can be really anxiety provoking kind of in different ways. Like the texture of the anxiety is often different for those different scenarios. Um, but what is really coming to mind for me is that 
regardless of the diagnostic category, if you can see all of those as processes that are created, maintained, and intensified by the way that you resist against it, like if, you, if you're rigidly thinking um, every time, like this is how the day has to go, and so if I set the schedule this way, then I'm going to I ha I'm overwhelmed if it doesn't go this way, that's going to be really anxiety provoking. Or if you have a belief, if I have a thought and it could hurt someone, um, then it'd be irresponsible not to check. Then that would maintain, um, like for instance, the harm OCD with driving. So I really like the way that you're able to see what your triggers are and that they're, they're different, but there's a lot of parallels. What are your thoughts mm -hmm. on that? Well, um, I would agree, and I don't know if it applies, but um, I, um, right as you were talking, I, I was I was having a memory it, uh, of also when I was working, but but it isn't limited when I was working, but it, when I did work, um, because I, in my last job, I I was on the road a lot, and so honestly, if I saw a homeless person sleeping on a bench, I mean, you know. I've seen lots of people on a bench, but if I was driving and invariably it would be on my way home and I'd wanna, I was tired. If I saw a person sleeping on the bench, I, that I'd get that whoosh. And I honestly, I felt like, what if that guy had a heart attack? I need, I'm a nurse. I need to go back and check on that man. But at the same time, um, I, I'd be uncomfortable. And, and I would go so far as to call my husband. Isn't, I can laugh at it now, and I laughed sometimes then. But, but I know that there was something be much deeper. It was, it was out of this responsible feeling. I'd call my husband. And I'd say, "Hey, I'm having one of those situations," and he'd laugh. He'd say, "Oh, who have you ran a? You know, who do you see now? You know?" And I'd say, "Well, there's a homeless man, and or there's a woman just kind of walking out on the streets, and she looks like she could be suffering." And I, I'd, I'd feel this. Um, intense thing that I should go back and help him, you know. And if I didn't, I I'd think, oh, should I call nine one one? And I mean, I re it really created a lot. And even when I'm telling you about it, I can feel my cheeks getting hot. Got um, Yeah. <laughs> so I think I think now sometimes my quandary is, oh gosh, what if I did that? Would would I help somebody? Because now we have COVID, and then. It, it adds a, I mean, luckily, I'm not, luckily, it's probably good. That, it would be good if I had that happen somewhere, but because we're home so much, those things don't happen. But I know that that would be, those kind of things would still be difficult. I don't think to the intensity that they were in the past because I, because of my understanding and I recognize that sometimes the very important thing is to do the opposite. And if somebody really was in trouble, then then I really could call nine one one. It's out of my hands. Yes, it, and and not responsible for helping them. You know. So. Yeah, that's really great. I sometimes I think about um, this form of therapy, this cognitive behavioral therapy, in kind of three different categories and stages. Although they're not linear stages, they're pretty dynamic, and you can jump back and forth between the different ones. But I think there's education, there's motivation, and there, um, and there's beliefs. And so with education, I think a lot of people 
have anxiety for the first time or OCD for the first time and have absolutely no idea what's happening. The natural urge when you feel any amount of pain is to do something to make it go away. And so if you suddenly feel anxious or suddenly feel afraid of your thoughts, feelings, or sensations, the natural thing to do is anything you can think of to make it go away. And that's where people get caught in the loop is they're doing their natural instinct, which is to try to make it go away, when what you really need to do is the exact opposite, which is to approach it, to allow it to be there, to even make it worse. So that's the education piece, which can get more specific depending on the exact triggers and exactly what's happening. But the general principle is your body wants to avoid and you have to override it and approach instead. Um, The second piece is really gaining the motivation to do that because it's so uncomfortable to experience this in the first place. And it's even more uncomfortable to do it on purpose. So you really got to buy in to the idea that not only is this the right thing to do, but it's worth it to put in the work to do it. And I think that Mm -hmm. can take some time. And, but the last thing is, I think is your beliefs around, um, what's creating, maintaining, and intensifying the anxiety. So for instance, in your case, as you got educated about um, having anxiety and what to do instead of avoidance, then you built more and more motivation to go towards it and allow it to be there. But actually in the case of inflated responsibility, which it sounds like you have, um, if you didn't challenge your sense of responsibility, you'd likely always feel anxious whenever you saw a homeless person on a bench or whenever you Mm -hmm. went over, like you might be able to, you might be able to say, oh, that's just my anxiety. It's okay for me to let this pass, but you'd probably keep feeling anxiety as long as you felt a sense of responsibility. Um, And so we, I see this with perfectionism. I see this when people are fearful of being evaluated that sometimes when you're not, your anxiety is not getting better through exposure, through just approaching what you fear. It's usually because you have some kind of belief that is keeping the anxiety going. And that can be one thing that psychotherapy is really helpful with. It helps you understand what beliefs are kind of hard for you to understand you're living with. And then once you challenge those beliefs, then, and you do the exposure, your mind can really learn that you know, whatever is giving you anxiety is not a, um, a threat, a message or a prediction. Um, do you have thoughts mm-hmm. in general about, um, that way of thinking about beliefs and how beliefs can maintain anxiety, even if you're doing exposure? Yes, actually. And, and, um, I, I'm getting to where I, I, I want, I, I mean, I find myself wanting to, uh, kind of relook at, you know, what my beliefs are. Sometimes I don't really know what they are, but that's another thing more and more when I hear the podcasts and cause sometimes as I hear them, I can almost put myself in, in that person's shoes, you know, or maybe the, the actual situation is obviously a bit different, but um, you know, like sometimes when different people have talked about trauma and my 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 situation might be different and so i'm and just the what you've taught us about looking at our beliefs um i'm getting more curious about that to try to understand and go back and um begin to kind of unravel that stuff a little bit so i can see myself uh, differently um 
see that I don't have to live by the the strictness of what the belief might be or the belief might be that because of something that I felt like I did wrong, even if it's something that was done to me, um, that shame that went with it, I, I can go back and, and change that belief. I can't erase the situation, but I, and so I'm, I'm getting curious. I don't, I don't say that I know how to do it all. And I also am realizing that, um, I want more and more to try to do the exposures that I need to do. Sometimes I don't know what they are, but I, I do know that, you know, a big one would just be, you know, I'm not going to go take a walk for a day or two. I'm going to, and, and that doesn't, that might not be a big deal. And for some people getting the energy or the stamina or just the desire to get out of the house might be a big deal. But for me, um, not doing that or doing something else for the sake of um, learning how to deal with the feelings that come with it is probably a, a, a good place to start. And so yeah. um, if I can elaborate on that, it's a great point that anything can be exposure and anything can be a compulsion. So walking is a great example where Walking for some people is behavioral activation or a way to challenge depression, get your body moving and, and challenge the thoughts and feelings that maintain depression. It can also be an exposure if there's any fear associated with leaving your house or what it feels like to start to get out of breath, your heart racing and feeling kind of sweaty. That can be anxiety provoking. Um, so in that way, taking a walk can be an exposure. Um, in your case, not taking a walk is an exposure because you're so used to walking when you feel anxious that it can be kind yeah. of compulsive. So it's not the, and this goes, this is kind of across the board. It's not the behavior itself that is, that makes it a compulsion or an exposure. It's the function that it serves in relation to your anxiety. So it depends on what your trigger is what your thoughts, feelings, and sensations are, and then what your mind tells you that you should do in order to make it go away. And that is also why you want to try to learn what your triggers are, because you're, you're trying to map out what, um, you know, what are you triggered by? What does your mind do with it? So what thoughts and feelings and sensations do you have? And then how, what does your mind come up with for how to make it go away? And then from there, we figure out what the appropriate exposure is um, based on what your mind wants you to do to make it go away. We just do the opposite. And at that point, that's actually a really simple part of being a therapist and the therapy process. Like once we've got it all mapped out, um, figuring out what how to do the opposite is generally pretty easy. What's hard is observing yourself enough to really get a good mental map of what's happening. And then it, mm -hmm. it can also be really hard to build and maintain the motivation to actually do the opposite because that can be really yeah. painful and really challenging. Um, but related back to your beliefs um, in awareness of our time, it seems like mm -hmm. that could be something, a really good thing for us to come back to in our last session. So as you feel anxious between now and our next session, um, if you can try to reflect on, like try to go towards the anxiety like you already are, but if you can try to reflect on what you might be thinking and believing that's um, creating the anxiety in the first place, and I can help you with it too if you give me some examples, but try to reflect on what you might be believing that's making this anxiety provoking for you.
Okay, that sounds good. Okay. okay, thank you for your time. We'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to the episode. If you would like to practice these anxiety, OCD, and mood disorder coping strategies within a COVID-safe and HIPAA-compliant online therapy group led by a licensed psychotherapist, please go to the Huddle.Care website to set up your initial consultation. Huddle.Care is a group therapy program that meets by video conferencing and offers education, treatment, and support provided by licensed psychotherapists. Huddle.Care brings together the quality care offered by highly trained licensed psychotherapists with the benefits of social support, including resilience, self-compassion, and collective hope. These mindfulness-based cognitive behavioral therapy groups include exposure and response prevention. Please go to the Huddle.Care website to receive more information and to set up your initial consultation. Thank you so much for listening. If you felt any benefit from the show, please let us know and share it with anyone you think would also find benefit. As a disclaimer, Please consult your doctor or therapist before attempting any strategies shared here. Thank you.